I, I was kind of I was worried that I was I wasn't getting like the full on nighttime Baco, and then I was like, <laughs> I remember the the morning Baco was pretty intense as well. Like, I don't <laughs> think we have anything to worry about. I get off to a hot start early. <laughs> Make sure you suck up to Craig, otherwise <laughs> he'll bitch about it in the comment section. So uh. I love it. I love it. I'm surprised you had me on again because uh, <laughs> last time that we did this together, we alienated pretty much the entire Kiss community. So yeah, right on. Looking yeah. forward to seeing what kind of damage we can do this time. <laughs> this would be a little more structured than that one. Yeah, that was apparently. Yeah. Apparently we had some shit to get off our chest. Uh, Apparently so, uh, but, people. But funny thing about Pearl Jam, I didn't realize until oh god, the, our bass player uh, joined the band around 2011. So somewhere shortly after that, I, and he's a guy who's like positive about fucking everything, man. Even things that you know he doesn't like that much. It's like, come on, just admit Steelheart sucks. <laughs> you know, no, they're all right, man. You know, they got, you know, and so, and then I found out he fucking hates Pearl Jam. Really? And I'm like, that was the first time I, and since then now I've, my eyes have been opened. It's out there. There's some hate for this band, but, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, I was just like, what? I didn't think anybody hated them, you know, but, uh, yeah, we, we, we played a trick on him. Um, I, uh, I told him I had a new song and it was Jeremy. So I was teaching him the riff, but, you know, kind of breaking it down like, dun, 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 dun. And so right. we get to the point where he actually runs through it, and he's like, you fucking asshole. But uh, <laughs> I wish we would have videotaped that. But anyway. That's great. What's the over-under on Ron Keel jokes today? How many cracks are you going to take of me for that? I, I, I'm in a good mood today, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm not joking on anybody. Uh, I... Uh, I think after the the election, you know, we we all need to come together. With me, maybe so much not political, but I, I I'm just going to let everybody enjoy their fandoms, however extreme they might be, Fair enough. even if hot tubs are involved. All right, uh, very good. So yeah, I, I I'm not going to piss on anybody's musical tastes at all. Uh, well, with that comment, you now are, are welcome to the hot tub. Uh, that's, that's, oh, thank yeah, you. So now you, you're included because uh, that was such a nice thing. It, it won't take much to get kicked out. Ron's pretty finicky. <laughs> uh, um, it's probably time to let people know who I'm talking to here, but they probably recognize the voice because you're, you're worldly famous. Uh, noted pizza snob, a furniture <laughs> parvano, and uh, the front man of the Pods and Sods podcast, the powerful and attractive Craig Smith. Hello, you motherfucker! You, uh, you 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 really did it up there, and I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, welcome, man. Yeah, yeah. We've uh, you've you've given me some grief uh, on the comment sections for how how kind I was to everybody that wasn't named Craig Smith that's been on the show. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm trying to rectify that today. No, it was really just Lee. Oh, really? You know the the episode with Lee because you know like 
we're, we're all podcasters. Mm-hmm. Lee Lee is a musician, and some of us are musicians as well. I used to be one before I realized I just wasn't good at it. Mm. But like you had Lee on, and you interviewed him like you were interviewing McCartney. Like you wouldn't. <laughs> uh, besides that one time where you busted on him for saying Hughes, like the whole time was like, hey, man, what do you think of this? Like, what's what's your view <laughs> on this? Like it was there was no ball busting going on at all. I'm gonna say that was mostly loose. Uh... Yeah. Oh, I, I'm fine to blame Luce for anything. Oh, really. he's not here. That's always, that's always my fucking uh, uh, scapegoat. So yeah, that seems to be the case. What's with uh, what's with our records? This is number three and <laughs> counting now with no Luce. Well, this one was well. Actually, the only two times that um, uh, we we did a full show. It was kind of planned that he wouldn't be involved. Uh, so right, this is but then a- you you were on our rock and pod, and he wasn't there either. Right, that's correct. I'm counting no, that the first as number one three. He was. The first one he was, yeah. yeah so, I don't know. Maybe uh, you guys need to. Uh, you, well, you, I'm sure he'll have you on for a two pick zero. Yeah, you know what? He he sent me a message. He's like, "Are you really down for this?" And I'm like, "Yeah, t- give me deets." And never. He's the kind of guy that'll <laughs> that'll message you at a weird time. Mm-hmm. I, I just get the impression he's driving. He's texting while he's driving. He's got this thought in his head. He gets it out, and then he just totally forgets about it because this was a week ago, and he still hasn't responded. It's absolutely how he works, yes. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, and you see, it's like that. He he asks me, you know, like a, a question, a heartfelt question about buying a turntable. <laughs> I give him a heartfelt response, and then his response back is in your goddamn episode. So I, you know, I, I kind of feel like that's his way of communication. Well, it got too real for him in text characters, <laughs> so he's got to hide behind the shield of podcasting and knock yeah. me down a peg. I may have blindsided him with that one a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, Luce knows I love him. Yeah, yeah, no. he's uh, he, he, like he, he he can take some shit. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, all right, well, coming in at number ten in Rolling Stone's list of greatest grunge albums is the Pearl Jam record Versus. Versus is the second studio album by Pearl Jam. It was released on October nineteenth. My Birthday, 1993, through Epic Records, produced by Brendan O'Brien, and it's first it's the first album to feature, I don't know, how do you say the drummer's name, Dave Abruzzese? Abruzzese. Abruzzese? Abruzzese, which I believe by this time was their 17th drummer. I don't know, they were really uh, Yeah, probably around there, yeah. They were popping through them there off the first record, but um, let me ask, hey, did you go to the midnight release for this? I sure did. So I, uh, I spent uh, midnight the morning of your birthday uh, <laughs> at Tower Records on Roosevelt Boulevard in Philly. Mm. Um, so yeah, I did. It was, uh, it was, you know, out of all the times that I've done the midnight sale a- a- around those years, and there were many, that one sticks out in my mind as most memorable. Yeah, I only remember doing two. This one in uh, Use Your Illusions. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. And I, I didn't have enough money to buy both Use Your Illusions. And, you know, it was like a Sophie's Choice moment. Like, which one do I pick, you know? <laughs> right. Uh, but uh, this one, uh, yeah, we, um, me and a, uh, my roommate at the time, and uh, oh, I, I think there were a couple other friends. We just, you know, I remember we got there kind of earlier than we needed to, thinking like, oh, man, what if there's like this fucking mad line? Yeah, there's maybe right. 15 people there, but... Um, yeah, I remember it being. I, I remember it being somewhat crowded. I mean, there wasn't like a line out the door or anything. But well, Philly's a little bigger than Rochester, New Minnesota, so that could have been it too. Yeah. So yeah, uh, it, we rushed home and listened to it. Uh, did you do the same thing? We uh, one of us bought the cassette uh, mm-hmm. in the car that uh, I believe it was. Uh, 
our Eric and I, uh, our friend Kyle, who's sadly no longer with us, I believe he drove us and uh, another friend of ours to to the midnight sale, and I think she got the cassette. So we listened to the cassette in the car coming back. Uh, was that uh, long of but, a drive? Or? Um, it was probably about twenty minutes or okay. so. Okay. And we got we got Side through one. part of it. We might have even drove around to listen to the whole thing. <laughs> I, I can't even remember. That was something we did in those days, yeah. trying to keep out of trouble. Uh. But um, uh, this this was uh, I I I was getting on to Pearl Jam like just kind of before this, and they had played a show in May at a place called Slim's, and they debuted a lot of this material there, and there was a bootleg cassette going around. Uh, by the time of the midnight midnight sale, so I knew a good number of these songs before the album even came out, which was which made it all the more exciting. You know? Right, I, I have traditionally avoided any type of uh, preview of records that I wanted to like experience. Um, the one yeah. exception would have been uh, Carnival of Souls, but I didn't think that was ever going to come out. So I Were you a, one of those idiots like me with a fourteen point four modem grabbing a real audio file and? <laughs> uh, yep. I, I actually recorded it in I don't know analog basically into a, 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 a boombox that had an auxiliary yep. in, um, yep. and just hit record and, and yeah, and this thing sounds like you're talking. It's being played through a phone. Yeah, and then I well, I did a, uh, a Smashing Pumpkins episode recently with a friend of mine, and I was going through uh, just I had a directory of just like old pictures, like mostly music related, and uh, I got online in '95, and the first pictures that I had downloaded from the internet were like Smashing Pumpkins melancholy pictures and J cards for Carnival of Souls that. Mm. People had made with horrible Photoshop, not even Photoshop, print shop, paint shop, whatever it was, um, versions of it. So, yeah, I was I was that guy, too. And and now I assume uh, Pearl Jam's uh, debut record was uh, if you were standing in line at midnight, you were already a big fan. Uh, you, you, You came in on the first album. I did, but I came in late. I remember uh, Ian, co-host of Moronophonics on the Pods and Sods Network, he had bought the album, and he is not a modern music kind of guy, not even back in 1991. Uh, his thing is like Italian horror movie soundtracks from the 70s. So he was like, I really dig this band. And I was like, yeah, I, I at that point was going through a, a thing where I just wasn't into what was new. Like I was... The, the new Prince album would be my thing. Yeah. I didn't want to hear new new bands. Um, but when Jeremy came around, I was like, okay, I can't, I can't really ignore this anymore. Like, this is a fucking great song. And I remember buying the CD. And I, I was kind of lukewarm on it as a whole. Uh, and then... Uh, as I mentioned, my friend Kyle, he was a he was a huge Pearl Jam fan. He had uh, at some point in '91, uh, Pearl Jam played uh, Penn State with Red Hot Chili Peppers and Smashing Pumpkins, and he was a photographer, so he hung backstage with all of them. Uh, on my wall, I have a picture he took of Eddie, which was later published in Guitar World, I think. And uh, he had told me the story. He was really there to see Red Hot Chili Peppers. Pearl Jam was up and coming. Uh, and he, I remember him telling me a story about how he, they were interviewing Ed, Eddie for the school paper or whatever. He was photographing. Friend was interviewing. And uh, Ed, Eddie said to them, we're going like miniature golfing or golfing or something like that if you guys want to tag along. And they were so 
there to see the red hot chili peppers that they said no and he said that like this was like a couple months later when he told me the story and he's like to this day it's like maybe my biggest regret and i was like yeah (laughs) absolutely but uh he uh it was pretty cool he one thing i've been looking for there's a uh and this is getting way in the weeds but you know the cover of 10 has that pearl jam the the big plaster thing that they pose in front of and Mm -hmm. you know touched hands uh, there was an ad for it in a magazine and that's what he had Eddie sign. And in the plaster, Eddie wrote Beth, which was his girlfriend's name. And when he signed it, he circled it and put a heart or something and then, uh, signed his name. And I've never been able to find that ad or like a copy of it. I'd love to see it again. Um, but yeah, he said that Eddie was just like the, the sweetest guy in the world. And then just like a year later, just completely turned into a, a, a moody, miserable, whatever we'll you get want into to call that. it. <laughs> we'll, we'll totally get into it. But uh, uh, to, to end this by saying he um, he would often take his photographs and send them back through management so that the artist could have a copy of the photograph. So he sent like this framed uh, picture he took of Eddie to Eddie and Eddie like blacked out the eyes and drew a crown of thorns on it and put devil horns on it and mailed it back to him. So nice. that was, uh, that's, Day that's a, uh, yeah, yeah. That's a, uh, that, that's a possession to, to have. You know what my biggest regret is? Um, it's too early to think of something <laughs> funny. So lay, lay it on me. White lion, big game. <laughs> okay. Um, well, yeah, for, uh, <laughs> this is probably the, the Pearl Jam's 10 was probably the first record that I bought because of a girl that I actually ended up liking and sticking with, you know what I mean? Uh, mm. Plenty of times I, I could be influenced to check something out because uh, the fairer sex uh, made me a little uh, more interested than maybe I would have been on my own. Uh, yeah, if, so, yeah. if not buying it for the cover, then buying it for that reason. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I bought plenty of albums for the cover. Um, <laughs> <You're telling me. laughs> so yeah, I worked at the co- the, they, I was in college and I worked at the radio station and I at, on I think it was uh, Sunday nights. Uh, me and this uh, I don't know fetching little lady were the the, the radio DJs and uh, she would just rave about these guys and and so the record had already been out a while and it didn't really click with me right away, but. Um, so it was before Jeremy, but it was after Alive. So it was just yeah. right around the time Even Flow was starting to hit, probably. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, going into that summer, boy, that's basically when it was full on. By that point, I had Soundgarden, Alice in Chains. Um, I knew that I didn't care for Nirvana, um, and it was Pearl Jam, basically yeah. going forward. So, yeah, me too. I was never a Nirvana guy. Uh, in fact, like I, I looked at this list, there's a scant few on on this list that I even owned. Pearl Jam kind of, I mean, they they definitely get lumped in with the the origin of grunge, and there are some bands on that list like Smashing Pumpkins that I don't think deserve to be there at all. But um, <laughs> I, I think that Pearl Jam, you know, and, and this is maybe getting ahead, but I, I think they just matured into like a great rock and roll band in mm-hmm. the vein of like the Who. Uh, you know, they they are one of the bands that can cover the Who and make it sound yeah, agreed. 
maybe nearly as good, if not as good. I mean, there are covers they did live that I would listen to before I'd put a Who record on. So um, and I know people would think that's sacrilege, but I think that they're just a solid rock and roll band and not in the kind of generic three chord way. Their music was always like super interesting and, mm-hmm. you know, layered and involved and moved and had dynamics and, you know, just just awesome. Well, uh, a little bit more on the record. Uh, it sold uh, 1.3 million copies in 10 days, which was fucking massive, especially even then that was massive, I guess I should say. Uh, yeah. they, they held the number one bill, the spot on Bill board for five weeks with this and for five years the record stayed on on the chart and held that that record i think garth brooks or Insync broke it i can't remember but yeah i think it was garth brooks now but that's right but it was a double album so doesn't he double get like, live album yeah. so he actually sells half as many copies that's true and yeah so um a little inside baseball there yep that's um, how you cheat an election good point um, they recorded it at a studio that i've never heard of called the site but apparently it was pretty fucking swank um, yeah. And I hadn't really heard this before, but the, the soon-to-be former drummer, uh, Dave Abruzzisi, uh, called the the tranquil recording site Paradise, where Eddie Vedder couldn't have liked it less. Uh, yeah, and that, that was probably the, the, the first nail yeah, in Dave's was coffin. Like, <laughs> that was the first sign that this guy is not You're just a drummer. Yeah, uh, like he, he apparently embraced the rock and roll lifestyle not only too much, but a little a little too obviously and vocally in the face of like a band that whether you think it's a gimmick or not, like really was not into the hype and just wanted to be a band that played shows. You You know, know, read the room, man. Right. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But you know, I'll go back to this. He's a drummer. What are you expecting? These guys are meatheads. They, they, They don't, they don't, they don't deal in nuance. They hit things with sticks for kind of fair enough. But, uh, well, a little bit about the making of it. There is an edge to it, I think, lyrically even. It kind of, and they were not like a uh, a upbeat lyric band on the first record, but Eddie supposedly went and would drive off and sleep in his truck for four days just to make himself uncomfortable enough to write lyrics. Yeah. Now, we're also entering kind of what you you touched upon the era where Eddie kind of turns into the super douche. And he takes himself really fucking seriously. And uh, so I kind of believe it, but at a certain point, it almost seems like something he would just say at the time, but he just doesn't come off as the kind of guy that makes shit up. Right. I, I, in 1993, I, I could not have bought into it more. I, I was like, man, this is the ultimate tortured artist. I, it looks like hell, but I want to be this guy. Mm. You know, like I and Eric and Eric would be on the other side. Like, does he really have to like pose for every picture, making it look like his head hurts? Like, come on, let, <laughs> lay off a little bit. And in retrospect, Eric was probably right. Yeah, but like, I think Eddie Vedder mind- would say that now. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and it's amazing how he just became like the most chill surfer dude. Uh, he kind of like, w- which he kind of was pre ten. Mm-hmm. Like, it's crazy to listen to his demos, like him doing Springsteen covers. Yeah. Before he joined Pearl Jam, and then like this little moment of angst and then like come the fourth album like smiles and just like everything changes so it's it's really weird uh but i totally bought into it at the time i was i was way into it he was interviewed for rolling stone it was something along the lines of he you know when they recorded the first record he was living in a basement and when they recorded Mm -hmm. this one it was like this lavish thing and he his comment was something along the lines of i felt we got too far away from the basement too quick so uh from a, a 
inspiration trying to get yourself in the right frame of mind i actually can relate to what he's saying you know well i don't write music as, as much as i used to but and, and i'm not comparing myself as a songwriter to him because nobody knows who the fuck i am but the process i think is relatable to, to anybody that, that tries to sit down and, and create something when i'm you know at the most comfortable like just peaceful state of mind i have zip to say I, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't musically I, I'm not I don't feel like doing anything but playing the songs that I already know how to play and you know so it does it's something about just getting kicked in the crotch that kind of helps you get things motivated so I can appreciate it that that he understood it he also probably did feel a little bit of pressure you know back then you know I mean it seems like we've kind of switched now to where it's like you're just famous for a short period and then you go away where back then, you know, there was a struggle, especially if you blew up on your first album to, to kind of come. So I don't doubt that he was actually, you know, trying to deal with all that. Yeah. And I think that there also might have been, I don't know that he's ever talked about this, but maybe also a little bit of guilt because, you know, they they always kind of had like a DIY punk kind of aesthetic at the base of it. Like, you know, the friends that the, the, the bands that they were friends with you know, we're still kind of in that pocket that they rose above. And, um, you know, even like during Vitology, when they did like the self-pollution radio and they were playing like the records on air from these bands that, you know, were their contemporaries. Uh, I think that, you know, all of a sudden now they're, they're looking down on all these people that were kind of their equals. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, I, I think that that might've had something to do with it as well, because I, it, it you can just look at interviews from like the 10 era. Like there are interviews where they're um, uh, alongside like L7 and like bands like that, you know, uh, and, and you can just tell the difference, you know, between that and, right. and the, the tortured artist thing. And I think that it has to do with just like, why did, why did, why us? Like, why did we get catapulted? And like, you know, now this is expected from us. Whereas, you know, this might not have been what we wanted. And, and hey, look, you know, it, it's, it's that thing where be careful what you wish for or maybe the basement is the best place for it, you know? It, well, I think long term uh, you can make the opposite argument. I, I, I use Metallica no as, question. As, as, uh, as an example of kind of what we're talking about. And I think we can make the same thing with Pearl Jam. If you look at Metallica and you compare them to like, look at, like just look at them. You know what I mean? Like I'm walking down the street and I'm James Hetfield and next to me is the singer from Testament. Okay. Mm-hmm. In the 80s, you wouldn't have gone, those are two drastically different human beings. But now right. it's just like, well, one guy has a chef. And one guy probably has dominoes on his rider, you sure. know. So, and you can look at that. Look at those other bands like Tad, the ones that are still kind of clinging around Mud Honey, and mm-hmm. then look at the guys from oh, Pearl yeah. Jam. It's like their T-shirts prob- that, that are just blank probably cost more than the entire wardrobe for somebody in those bands. Yeah, no question. But that's not the kind of thing you're thinking of when you're 23. Absolutely you know? right. But but now, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a lifestyle that all of us could just. <laughs> be thankful for but i mean like even you know when it comes down to like recording you know like kind of think of it in our terms like i was in a band in the 90s and probably the worst thing that happened to us as a band was getting like re- uh, dat machines to record at home oh because it, it just when you have all the time to do it it isn't like when you're on the clock at a recording studio and the pressure's on and you're coming up with great shit because like there's a vibe there. Mm. And like, as soon as that's gone, like 
it's it's totally different. I don't care how much work you put into what you're doing at home. Like it's just a, a vibe's gone, and that has to you know it affects your songwriting, it affects your performance, it affects the way you just keep tweaking something and get so far away from the original oh, man, idea. Yep. So, you know, I, I think that there's probably a little of that, too, you know? Uh, the album was originally titled Five Against One, a title I actually like better than Versus. What about you? Uh, I think I do, too. It's actually, it was on the cassette, mm-hmm. um, or at least first pressings of the cassette, which was interesting. Did your friend's cassette have it, do you remember? Yes. Yeah. Yes. We were, it was one of those things we mar- marveled at in the car. Uh, <laughs> one of us got, it, it came out in a, in a digipack that wasn't um uh there was something miss i think uh the, the actual jewel case under the cd had the the hand with five against one written on it and i had bought that's that's it yeah so i had bought the digipack version which didn't have that and i was a little salty about it i was like i bought like the more extreme version how come there's like pieces mm. of art missing from mine but also something I think is interesting is the vinyl came out a week before this, and I don't recall that. But for Vitology, the vinyl came out before the CD, and that I bought before the CD came out. I don't remember either of those things. Yeah, oh, Vitology. I totally remember going to the record store in my neighborhood. It might have even been two weeks before the CD because I was running off copies for people that wanted to hear it immediately. Uh, people that would have bought the CD anyway, obviously. But um, yeah, I don't remember it with Versus or else I, I had a turntable then. I would have done that. But uh, for Vitology, it was very – maybe because I was hanging around a record store in the neighborhood and just heard about it. Hmm. Um, but yeah. And then uh, one cool. of the other things that changed was there's uh, – and I, I didn't know that until I was uh, getting ready for this. Um, there's a, a little picture inside the, of a, a woman at a counter for that elderly woman song. They apparently didn't have the rights to use it, so on the second pressing, they removed it. And uh, so I, it is on it is on my CD. Uh, so I was up, I was happy to see that the thing the I original? bought on release day was the first pressing. You know, you never fucking yeah. Know. Um, but it is not on the re-released vinyl. Not surprisingly, because this is like the newer, I don't know, the remixed right. version deal. But um, anyway. Also, uh, if you want to get really in the weeds, the oh, lyrics you know I do. To, <laughs> the lyrics to "Indifference" are not in the CD, but they were in the cassette. Uh, they might be in the remaster now. I think they are. I, I I did not know that until I read this either. But I I don't know that didn't really do much for me. That it's kind of weird though that you just throw it into a I don't know. You I almost want to talk to the. That seems like a conscious decision, but anytime anybody yes. tries to research something like that, it's like oh who knows these things. Just it's like really. Well, I I thought it was a thing because the lyrics to release weren't in 10 either. Mm. Uh, It it just had the word release with like this kind of like gradient. All Um, right. And then it was restored for the when they put out the Redux, the remix a couple years ago. So uh, so I thought it was. But I mean, it's always been that way with Pearl Jam, like the lyrics. Sometimes you'll get like the chorus of the song written on top of a picture. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like they didn't have lyrics the way that you would uh, usually see a lyric sheet, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, I I loved the lyrics kind of being incorporated in the artwork and it. You know, made the art. This is the kind of stuff that LC misses out on by renting music. He would never know. <laughs> but like the the packages, and they would go extreme with Vitology and No Code. Well, Versus received largely positive reviews, uh, except for uh, my personal favorite rock critic, Robert Christigo, the salty old <laughs> prick from the Village Voice. He gave the album a dud rating. Um, I, I didn't look up uh, any other ratings. I just thought that was funny because I, I picked on him in the last episode. Right. No videos. 
Correct. I don't even think it dawned on me that there weren't Pearl Jam videos on MTV. I guess I didn't care about MTV that much. Yeah, I think by the time that Versus, I mean, the 10 videos were probably around the time that most of us were kind of getting out of MTV, maybe. Okay. Uh, I think 91, 92 might have been when Real World started. So that might have been the beginning <laughs> of the end. I mean, I, I think, think of, of like, the damage that show has done to our fucking culture. It's really where it all began, right? Yeah. Like, and it's the, insane. And I'll give that, I think the, the intention of that first show was at least interesting. Oh, Definitely. But Definitely. It's, look, look at I would get sucked into it when MTV would have the marathons. Like <laughs> I'd be like, okay, this weekend shot. I'm sitting and watching this all weekend. And then, of course, you know, reality shows become just intolerable. But mm. uh, well, they're basically but, but one of, show with different characters. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, so. uh, but like, even like, I think of um, like Smashing Pumpkins videos, and I think of like the the Siamese Dream videos. And I wasn't really an MTV watcher then. I'd kind of like have it on or maybe like run a tape in case they ran a, a, a video I wanted to see. But like 91, 92 was probably the end of actually sitting and watching MTV for chunks at a time. So yeah, I'm trying to think know. it would have been, man. Well, we didn't have, well, that's the other thing too, is that uh, my, my roommate and I, when we were in college, we, uh, we could barely afford the tenement that we lived in. So we didn't, cable was not a luxury, was luxury. We did yep. not, we wanted to buy music, you know, we would have had to give up a couple CDs a month just to have TV. So we didn't, we had a VCR and rented movies, I guess. But so yep, I didn't I see a lot that. of MTV then. Um, I guess I never really, I've never, I've never really devoured too much. I know, did it ever irritate you how long the commercial breaks were during MTV? It was, oh God! Yeah, it was like here's a cliffhanger, and and, and then boom, you're you're you got 15 minutes. You know, yeah. I'm exaggerating, but I yeah, think the only rough. real world that I kind of absorbed was the one in well, I learned Hawaii, the boobs. I, I listened yeah. to the the episode you were. Mm. That was season eight, I believe. I looked it up after <laughs> I heard you talk about it. A Maya Brecker, and I, baby. I didn't I didn't watch that one at all. Uh, I think yeah. I only watched like the first four or so. Yeah, I probably just you know I I, I probably just uh, set my VCR to record and then would edit out the scenes that didn't have her in it. So. <laughs> right, but uh, in, in in lieu of versus not having videos, like I remember <laughs> seeing them do Animal on the MTV Awards right before Versus came out, and I wore the shit out of that video. Yeah, that like two and a half minutes I watched over and over again. Actually, also talking the age of CD bootlegs before recordable CDs were the norm. So, like, I was the dude, you know, shelling out 30, 40 bucks for Pearl Jam bootlegs. And the, the, the shows from this tour were so fucking great, unpredictable to this day. And even then, like, never played the same set list twice. Just, you know, it was, it was so great. And there were just like, the, there's something about this tour. I don't know what exactly what it is, but it's the closest that Pearl Jam ever got to like what I would consider dangerous. 
Like when you watch the the one the one word I can use to describe this album is intense. It's my favorite Pearl Jam album. Very close with another, but most days it's my favorite. But the shows just like always seem like they are on the verge of like just violence. And I don't know if it's something that I read into it, but just like the shows from this tour are just so fucking intense. Um, and it's something that, you know, as great as they are, um, it, it kind of wasn't the same after this tour in terms of like the intensity of the crowd. And I mean, obviously violent mosh pit kind of crowds. Yeah. Um, but even like Eddie and various states of drunkenness, uh, inciting or uh trying to quell such like it's just it's fascinating to watch i i i never got to see these guys live uh the Lollapalooza uh tour was the closest i got and there was something that that came up at the last minute and i had to sell my ticket but um yeah i, I should paint the picture for the listener you're wearing a shirt that says versus uh, it doesn't look like an official yep. pearl jam thing is it no, it's not. There's a uh, uh, they're called Life Wasted, uh, EED, and they do Pearl Jam shirts based on Eddie's handwritten set list. Oh, okay. So th- this uh, this was to commemorate a show where they played verses beginning to end, and the back has the set list written out in Eddie's hand of verses. But most of the shirts they also have a ten and a no code because they did those albums in full too but the uh, other shirts they sell are like different color shirts with like the song title written in eddie's in eddie's handwriting and it's usually like abbreviated you know like yell lead instead of yellow lead better okay and uh they're just awesome awesome shirts life wasted they have a ton of them and they're they're all amazing well, I appreciate you getting into the spirit this uh, early in the morning, too. So. Oh, of course. And you know what? It's good that you can't see, much like Ace Frehley on the Tom Snyder show, it's a good thing you can't see any Baloa because, like, the, the <laughs> pandemic a lot late. like a drunk Paul. <laughs> <laughs> it's been so long since I listened to Kiss, I'm mixing them all up. Mm. But, like, uh, squeezing myself into this pre-pandemic shirt was rough. So it's a good thing that you can only see me from, mm, from the nice. nipples up. Oh, we might get a little midriff, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how much coffee I have. <laughs> uh, well, it had four singles, Go, Daughter, Animal, and Dissident. And I remember uh, uh, locally that Elderly Woman song got played a little bit. Uh, but it, I did see in Wikipedia that uh, Glorified G also got some love from radio at a certain point. So Yeah, I, just, I, I still heard that years later on radio. I, I think that the singles thing is misleading. Like there, I don't think there were any singles released in the U.S. in terms of commercial singles. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're all U.K. commercial singles. Okay. I, I might be wrong on maybe one. Maybe maybe one was, but they they kind of stopped with the I think Dissident, uh maybe maybe there was a CD single for Dissident, but most of the Pearl Jam CD singles were from the UK. And sometimes those they kind of combine like UK and US and German. Um but in terms of like radio, absolutely half of this album were radio staples. Right on. You wanna get into the record? Oh, absolutely. You know what the cool thing about this is? Eric and I did an episode on this like five years ago, so I didn't even have to take notes. All my notes were already written. Uh, and, and the episode's Cheater. out of the feed, so it's not like I'm repeating myself either. Mm. But um, uh, I, I gave it a few listens over the last few days, and uh, I'm, I'm totally ready to go. Side one, it opens up with the song Go. 
Pearl Jam has always been amazing at the opening song on a record. I, I think it's it's one thing they excel at. They know how to like just come out of the gates screaming. As opposed to like their live shows where they usually open with a ballad and then like as the ballads kind of trailing off, you hear the the noise of the distortion pedals, like something's coming and it's usually something like this. Just what a fucking way to open the record with a little bit of just like warming up and getting into the groove and hearing that kind of like chrome sounding bass, you know, just like just and then all of a sudden when the when the sticks come in and they they hit that opening riff just what a what an incredible incredible thing i um most of the pearl jam listening that i do is live pearl jam i i you know they put out uh since 2000 i think they've released every live show in some form whether it be cd or streaming um and uh, most of the time, live versions are preferable. This is one where, like, the background vocals, they're just kind of, like, ghostly, and they work so well in this, and that's something that they, they don't really translate live. Um, and it's just, like, it, 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 it's a quick in and out. Like, it, it gets you. It's got great breaks, you know, b- b- before the choruses, you know. Um, it's just filled with riffs. It's full of great Eddie shouts and mm-hmm. just uh, an absolute, absolute. Am I supposed to give the rating now or wait until after? I'll your... you uh, Okay. Um, so, yeah. And what an absolutely killer way to open this record. I yeah, it, for me it's 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 perfect. It was it was what I needed as someone who stayed up till midnight and went home and listened to it. Needed to hear it right away. You know what I mean? Yes. It, it could have been because if I would if they would have done that for Vitalogy and I came home and I'm like, well maybe I'll like it after a few listens. But uh, yeah. no, this yeah, was, that's a grower. Put you in the right fucking frame of mind right off the bat, and like you said, oh, yeah. you know, just uh, two back to back two opening tracks as far as albums that are good. I was just blown away at how much different it sounded. From the the guitars were just more metallic. They weren't mm-hmm. distorted, but they just had that kind of a, a, a hard sheen to them. But there it was also mixed in a way that was a little uncomfortable, and but in yeah. a good way. You know what I mean? It kind of it, it, it just sets the tone and. Uh, a little love for the drummer too, man. He's listed as a songwriter. He, uh, he came up with the riff. <laughs> yep, uh, drummer Dave. You got you knocked that one out of the part. Yeah, I can't say his last name now. So now he's just drummer. Um, <laughs> and I mean, it, it should be said that this album, you know, coming off uh, ten, which uh, you know I'm sure is coming up in your list later. Mm-hmm. But ten, I plan uh, on having you back for that. Just uh, I, I'll oh, absolutely yeah. be back for that. Um, it is an absolutely produced record, whereas this record is as raw as 10 is produced. Yeah. Um, it's and loose. they actually went back. Yeah. Yeah. And they actually went back and, and remixed 10 to be a little less reverby and glossy, uh, and probably works better that way. I, I have, uh, I assume you've heard it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'll be diving in, uh, further before, you know, before we do that. Um, but yeah, the, but that version, uh, I I had I knew it was out there, but I, at the time I wasn't really paying a lot of attention to these, like the details of these these re-releases. You know, I mean, it's, I'm yeah. just looking at everything as a remaster, and yeah. I I, just, I was just kind of bored with them at that point. Uh, it was actually LC who explained to me that no, they they brought in Brendan O'Brien, basically put yeah. all the knobs and dials down to zero and started over. And then I was like, you well fucking send me that. I cannot yeah. believe. I'll, I I oh, listen to that. I don't listen to the original version. Oh yeah, anymore. in terms of listening, I don't I don't ever listen to the original 10 anymore. Yeah. Especially after hearing this like it's 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 so weird to hear it. It it sounds yeah. like a plastic <laughs> version <laughs> of the And I it's a, we're talking about an album we fucking love, but uh yeah. 
uh, I like I like um what Bo- what Kiss did with that destroyer with Bob Ezrin, but yeah, yeah, not to the level that that the 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 ten is. I'll still go back to the original destroyer, even the the sure. remaster over that. But yeah, uh, not with ten. It, it's one of the the times it was just perfect. I I love yeah, it. Anyway. Agreed. But, but yeah, raw. We can raw get, record we can get into that great. more I won't, <laughs> when we get to, in a few episodes down the road here. Uh, all right. Well, uh, I, I assume you're familiar with the rating system where I let the guests decide what kind of reference they, you know, if you want to go with stars, by the way, you can go generic. But uh, what do you, I got a feeling you got something prepped for us. I got something prepped, uh, and I am going to give this one a one, two, three, four, five against one. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> Oh, this is a good one. I also, Thank you. I'm also going to give it a one, two, three, four, five against one. This is yeah, a, uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's a perfect song. There's nothing wrong with it. And, and you know, I gotta, I gotta put a disclaimer out here. I think this album's fucking perfect. If I'm giving anything on this album less than a one, two, three, four, five against one, I'm seriously nitpicking and like just looking for something to, mm. to, to criticize about it because I do think that every song on this album is incredible all right well up next is um animal Short. Uh, are we doing the same rating? Oh yeah. One, two, three, four, five against one. Perfect record one, two, so three, four, far. Five against one. Yes. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, just the memories attached to this one. <sighs> you know, from from seeing it, and it's just always one of the. I, I, I've only seen Pearl Jam live twice, uh, two thousand and two thousand three, uh, which were still good years. But I also did see Eddie Vedder play guitar for Mike Watt. Um, oh. On that first Foo Fighters Just to tour. stop you for a second, that's probably my true biggest regret when it comes to music. My, yeah. I had nothing going on. The Foo, yeah, it was, it was Eddie Vedder, Foo Fighters, uh, uh, opening up for Mike Watt, correct? Yep. And they yep. were, the, my roommate was going. Eddie Vedder was a surprise. You didn't know it at the time. Oh, we okay. got rumors. Eddie Vedder's wife, the opening act was a band called Hovercraft. Okay. And it was Eddie Vedder's wife, Beth. And Eddie Vedder in a wig on drums. And then Eddie later comes out as the guitarist for Mike Watt. And we were all just fucking amazed. Uh, but, yeah, I passed. I think it was the, the show was like $8. Um, oh. And my roommate was going. He's like, hey, I'm checking. You want to go? And I'm like, I don't know. I got to work tomorrow. And, you know, it was like yeah. a, it was Thursday night or something. So at First Avenue, baby. Uh, oh, yeah. Wow. Could have awesome. been uh, the perfect place to see it. And I would have you know, I mean, the Foo Fighters have become one of my uh, favorite bands and just, I don't know, I I, I blew it. Yeah. And I mean, the, the thing was, uh, I, I want to say that this is the right timeline. I, I might be wrong, but I seem to remember that 
Eddie played two um, Dave Grohl demos on one of the Monkey Wrench radio things they did. Mm. And one of them was Exhausted, which is my favorite Foo Fighters song. And they played it that night. Um, and I was just like absolutely amazed by it and, and loved it. Uh, I want to say that was 90, 95, probably early 95, maybe. But yeah, a- amazing show. But uh, this is just one of those songs in a Pearl Jam set that just like everybody just loses their shit. You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 so energetic and just so driving. Even the and Republicans. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, because they, they they haven't they haven't been confronted with a George Bush mask at this point in the show yet. Usually, Animal comes pretty early. Um, so yeah, just uh, you know, it's got that nice kind of like chuggy do you know during the chorus. It's got yeah. like nice syncopated bits, and just you know, it's another one of those that's just like I think it's under three minutes. Yeah, uh, just another quick in and out. Two minutes and forty nine seconds. God damn. Yeah, the little the little wada. Mm. Yeah. Oh, so good. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, and just those, you know, I the the last two lessons that I got in this morning were through headphones and just those little you know, kind of asides are just so great. Eddie was, you know, always had a certain delivery, but it seemed like he he wasn't quite at yellow lead better level on this record. But mm-hmm. it seemed like he wanted to intentionally make it hard to pick out the lyrics. Uh, oh yeah, for the listener, you know, it was maybe it was an artistic choice to like so you can get your own kind of message from music, or maybe yeah. he was just a a, a giant d bag who <laughs> didn't care. He, I, I'm fairly certain he also put wrong lyrics inside some of the booklets yeah. to make you think he was singing something else. I know that that's happened a couple times, uh, and I think – I can't remember which way it goes, but uh, the first line, torture from you to me, in the lyrics, he actually wrote torch, her, hmm. uh, instead of torture, which I guess it could be either, you know, based on pronunciation. But, like, it was one of those things that when you get online and you start looking at lyrics of Pearl Jam songs, you're like, well, this this isn't jiving with what the, the what his handwritten lyrics are in the booklet. Um, but, I mean, like, in the case of Yellow Leadbetter, which is a song that he just completely made up the words to on the spot, I think that these songs have evolved. There are some songs that, like, lyrics have changed over the years mm. and he, yeah. he keeps, you know, evolving them and changing them. So I think that that's just kind of a thing with him. I'm cool with that, you know. Yeah, uh, I am too, actually, and I and I'm not a. I was, I think, after like uh, junior high, I was no longer really a, a guy who would follow lyric sheets as I listened to a record. I just, uh, yeah, I kind of just, I wanted to just, I don't know, I just lost interest. I guess is the best way to put it. There was no, yeah, yeah, I get that. Um, but I mean, as a ki- as a kid, it was the the best thing to crack open a record and mm-hmm. find lyrics in there. Oh yeah, you'd be so fucking disappointed when you crack open a record. There'd be nothing in there. Yeah, well, I want Awful. stuff inside. I just, uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm more likely to read liner notes, like who produced it and who were the uh, guest agreed. musicians on. But agreed, or uh, just give me something. You know, just pop something in there. Fortunately, when uh, my band started uh, adding a lot of covers, the internet existed, so I didn't have to mm-hmm. uh, sit down to with my ear to a, a speaker and try to <laughs> right. decipher shit. But uh, uh, you're rating, though. Uh, you kind of spoiled it, but let's get it, make it official. Uh, one, two, three, four, five against one. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, up next is Daughter. Don't call me Daughter. Not fair to 
I mean, I, I think that this song's a home run. Uh, if if anything, it might have been lessened only by radio grabbing onto it as hard as it did. But this is one of those songs that I, I remember specifically before the album came out, Kyle talking to me about. And um, it's just, it's such a great, I, I mean, on its surface, really simple, kind of just like an open tuning and and really just alternating between kind of like the G and the E minor. But when those minor chords hit, man, they hit with that dun, dun, dun. And it's got like a, a real intensity to it. Lyrically heartbreaking um, and just... Uh, I, I I think that it's another song that that's just a masterpiece, and and this is one that uh, really shines live because nine out of ten times they keep the end jam going and they quote other songs on top of it, uh, and it's it's just re- always really great. Uh, I worked with a guy named Mike Kleiner on the time, and I I always think of him when I think of the song because there was this one day. You know, we're working in a factory floor, you know, um, and he just he started singing the song, but he was not singing it. I don't know if it makes sense. He, he would, he's like, he was like, don't call me daughter. And that kind of became a, a, a running joke. He wasn't trying to be funny. He was just like, yeah, right. what's that Pearl Jam song? Don't call me daughter. That's a good one, you know. And uh, so <laughs> I uh, I. Uh, I don't. I do not like this song at all. Um, really, it's. I do agree. The lyrics are brilliant, but the the guitar intro at the. Oh wait, no. Uh, not the guitar intro in this one. That's uh, dissident. But uh, I don't know. I, I, this song just doesn't do it for me. I, I think it maybe got overplayed a little bit. But it's also. I don't know. It's just. It's. It's. Uh, it, it gets one against one for me. So. Ooh. This oof. one. This this one if it if I if it only gets played all the way through if it's on vinyl because it's just so much work to get up and move the needle you know but if it's on CD well, you, skip you are the guy that gave a zero to drown by smashing pumpkins so I should have expected that something like this would happen <laughs> what what would you give that I would give that a three out of five yeah. I, I it's not one of my favorites but I I get it well didn't I acknowledge that it was really more part of a another thing and in that sense it was fine but if you're just asking me to rate it as a song there really isn't much there. I don't know what you said because once you said zero, I shut I shut it the fuck off. <laughs> fuck I this joke. guy. I joke. Oh, I know. Uh, well, but uh, well, what's your your rating? Uh, I, I think I ha- also have to give this one a one, two, three, four, five. Okay, one. <laughs> yeah, I, I, th- I think I think this one's pretty killer. Oh, we're gonna see how that. You, you, the challenge now is gonna see how you evolve that rating as you go for you. you <laughs> I blew my load already. It's done. Uh, Glorified G.
love the story behind this one where yeah uh, as far as the lyrics and it really just show, I don't even know how you how you you don't fire the guy if you feel this way about it but yeah the the the, the story is and it's it's it seems to be verified so I believe it um yeah the drummer Dave he uh he apparently had bought a couple guns and was quite pleased with himself and wanted to tell the guys in the band cuz like I said can't read a room read, read the room yeah. <laughs> yeah you know you know who's gonna like to to find like to find out about my guns eddie vetter man uh, so eddie writes this song and I, it's like uh uh what is the opening line um got a gun in fact i got two yeah that's okay man because i love god and there's, there's yeah. something about like don't think <laughs> uh, uh uh don't think double strength no, uh, don't think dumb is strength. Yeah, never shot at a living thing. Yeah, like if you read the lyrics, it's you can tell it's absolutely everything that was coming out of this dude's mouth during that conversation. Yeah, and apparently uh, Eddie's reaction to his uh, great news did resonate a little more than the idea that he probably not the the right crowd for this this information, right. but because he's like, well, they're basically just glorified versions of pellet guns trying to downplay right. the fact that, that he i just bought kind of toy guns you know and everything. right right <laughs> uh so yeah brilliant and, and it just it kind of harkens back to like um i don't know uh like john like uh the beatles with uh paul mccartney wrote like you know a song about john lennon's kid and sorry your dad sucks you know <laughs> right <laughs> it's just you know how do you fucking be in a band with a guy that you just wrote these lyrics and this is, believe it or not, this is less subtle than Hey Jude. Oh, uh, <laughs> this is this is right on the nose. This is uh, all that needed as, was as, our drummer Dave is stupid and he bought two <laughs> guns. Uh, yeah, and there was uh, one interview. Uh, I can't remember if it was recent or if it was from around that time where. He, Eddie was just like, just completely, he was talking about it. And you just tell the complete disgust. He's like, yeah, the drummer bought a fucking gun. Like, he was just, <laughs> his disdain was just so palpable and great. Uh, but as a song, uh, regardless, the, the, the story just makes the song better as far as I'm concerned. I, I think this is a, a killer. I love the way it just kind of like ambles in kind of like almost like a poppy kind of like goofy song, almost like shiny yeah. happy people. And yep. then you get into the the don't think, you know, and it's just yeah. like glove fad version. That whole backup chorus yeah. is killer. And I mean, the great thing about this is, you know, you think about this. It's it's kind of like the the Fleetwood Mac scenario of I'm going to write a song about you and you're going to play on it. Yeah. And just like <laughs> here's go boom, 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 and now I'm going to just sing at you about how fucking stupid you are. It's just so great. <laughs> Everything about it is 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 perfect. I, uh, it'd be awesome if like they, if live he he would just turn around and look at him and sing the whole song. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it's happened. I I could guarantee you that that happened. That takes some fucking balls too. To be honest with you, you really have no regard for this person being in your band at all. Wait, balls on which side? I would say Eddie. Uh, yeah. Look, the drummer's an idiot who didn't fucking understand who he was with. Uh, yeah. Without, by the way, I'm not trying to get into a gun debate. I'm saying if you don't think, if you're not aware that Eddie Vedder is not the guy to fucking brag about guns to, <laughs> right. and he is your fucking meal check to this rock star life you're loving, you really yeah. don't deserve it. I mean, honestly, all you have to do is not tell him. Don't let him know you have guns and you're probably okay. Yeah, my thought is more like when when they're on stage and and Dave hits the doom boom boom. What's going through his mind now <laughs> when like, Eddie's uh, singing this shit? And he's up there looking the fool. I, I'm guessing he's oblivious. I, I, that's kind of how I Based take on the it. The drummers as well. I've worked with, that's just. 
This is a this is a pro gun song, man. <laughs> they fl- yeah, that's cool, man. <laughs> you took that, you took my word and made it into a song. It is a glorified version of a pellet gun. Boo boo. Yeah, Eddie, boo, boo. so Eddie believed me. Cool. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what he took. So yeah, this gets uh one two three four five against one for me. Yeah, one two three four five against one for me too. Does he get a writing credit on this, Dave? Uh, um, I think he might have. Not according. Oh, wait, where? Yeah, no, not a, it just oh, okay. says Gossard and Mike McCready, but uh, <laughs> which makes it even better. Yeah. I thought for some reason I had it in my mind that he got a writing credit because it came out of that conversation. Uh, they Brilliant. should almost really do it if you think about it. Uh, they should. Can, can can you get writing credit for uh, just raw inspiration? Well, what? if so, then we'd get credit for uh, several Cobras and Fire episodes. Good point. So I doubt it. It's really been a, a hardship on our show that you and uh, Eric don't do more episodes because we have. <laughs> <laughs> we just got to keep going back to the, the the limited resource that's out there. So yeah, it's rough. Any other thoughts on Glorified G? Oh no, it's it's. I mean, you pretty much said it all. It's it's just another one out of the gate. Amazing. That riff is something else. Uh, try getting that riff out of your head. Yeah, and uh, just like the, uh, you know, the 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 bridge kind of is just like it's kind of awkward with like those those backing vocals. Life comes. Yeah, you know, but just that I can steal your heart through your neck. Like it's just, yeah. it's such a great line, and and it's it's so good. The song's yeah. so good. I, whatever Eddie did in that truck, it helped him because uh, agreed. Uh, I, I do think lyrically he knocked it out of the park on both albums so far. Up That's to this right. Point, he, but. He was sitting there in his truck waiting to fall asleep thinking, that motherfucker bought a gun. <laughs> How long can you just sit in your truck for crying out loud? Uh, long enough to write an album this great. I guess. Um, up next is Dissident. At a quarter past, a holy note. Using dissident as a noun or a verb here? Uh, I, I had always <laughs> taken it as a noun. Okay. I also don't profess to understand most of what Eddie is trying to convey in his lyrics. Yeah. But this one, uh, I, I think that, you know, this is another one that I'd hear on radio fairly often. I was always kind of lukewarm on it musically. I think lyrically, it's pretty great. Lyrically, I, I think it's it's one of his best, but musically, it's just maybe just a little too down tempo for me, especially in terms of this record. Mm-hmm. This is uh, uh, it's kind of the one that during a live show it it it's kind of a speed bump, you know. It's it's like it, it kind of kills the momentum for me. I'm sure there are many people out there that absolutely love it, but uh, uh, you know, for me musically, I, I think it's it's a little bit lesser. Uh, I think the um, that lead harmony intro is kind of whiny sounding. That's what I was thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, I pretty much agree, pretty much across the board with what you said there. I, I do like the lyrics, and and I think it's uh, sung uh, really well. The, oh yeah, the music kind of pulls me away from it a little bit. Uh, yeah, I gave it one, two, three and a half 
against one. Yeah, I would uh, also have to go with you and give it a one, two, three, four and a half against one. You went four and a half? I went three and a half. No, no, that, it was three and a half. Okay. You, you just couldn't. You, you just couldn't stop no, yourself. There was no just... lyric sheet for what I just did, so you couldn't you couldn't uh, <laughs> decipher it. Oh, uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll read the lyrics out of the, the book. Oh, it says <laughs> nothing. <laughs> All right. Well, side one. Now, this was released on vinyl, you said. I didn't know if it came out originally on vinyl or not, but you brought it up at the, in the beginning there. Yep. Um, so we're, we're officially listening to this on vinyl. Uh, it wraps up with WMA. Does this does WMA sound? Uh, what does that stand for? It's not like that that Cardi B song WAP, right? We're, I don't know if you know what that stands for. But. I, oh, I I do. Okay, um, well, uh, I, I, I I've heard a lot about it. Perhaps one day I'll encounter one. Oh, um, but oh, uh, uh, that's a joke, of course. Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, WMA stands for White Male American. Okay. Uh, anyway, what are your thoughts here? Uh, I love this. Just a, it's a total groove. It's not the kind of thing that I'd usually be into. Um, but I think that this is one where the dynamics just absolutely make this track and a killer vocal. I mean, obviously some passion behind that. Um, uh, some experiences that Eddie had witnessed that kind of poured into this. Um, I, I think that this one's absolutely killer. I, I think it took me a little bit to warm up to it. Maybe. Uh, it's hard to, it's hard to remember cause it's just not really my thing. Kind of like a, it could be a trance based groove, you know, chords don't change, you know, kind of tribal mm. drumming going on, but, um, it's one now that I just completely get into. The drumming actually uh, really sticks out. It, it, the drumming oh, yeah. is so good. Eddie forgot that Dave liked guns for the four minutes of song last or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, yeah it really is the, the drums and the bass line that I. This song sounds like, and I know a lot of the, this stuff was written in this kind of format. So I'm probably not being too Nostradamus like here, but this definitely feels like something that kind of started out as a jam, and then they oh, just yeah. kind of came together because the guitars are pretty lazy and, and 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 understated and it's all about that that little bass line and the yeah. bass line sort of evolves as it goes through too yeah but just subtly little little tiny things that, that change from the beginning to end but yeah um, i mean they would do like improvs on stage and this is the kind of thing that the improv would sound yeah. like so it's it's not far-fetched to think that this might have been something that they just came up with while jamming and that you know eddie just kind of threw some lyrics on top of but still killer Rating? Uh, this is absolutely a one, two, three, four, five against mm-hmm. one. I'll say it clearly so that you understand. It's it's <laughs> it's totally great. Uh, I give it one, two, three, four against one. Uh, okay, not my favorite track, but it's definitely not something I I, uh, I skip. So 
Given the drummer's possible political leanings uh, at the time, I don't know where he stands now. Do you think that Eddie had to lay the vocals on later so that he could get such a great groove going and not know the songs about police brutality? (laughs) I'm going to stick with uh, drummers are dumb. And okay. he had no political leanings. Uh, didn't, <laughs> didn't realize that uh, just some he pe- likes guns. Yeah, some some people have guns, and other people want guns. Is how he looks at it. You know. So, okay, fair enough. Um, <laughs> that that's my gut feeling. But all right. Well, before we flip it over, I always do like a little kind of breakaway here. Uh, but uh, Pearl Jam uh, promoted the album with tours, uh, basically in the in the United States of fall '93 and spring of '94. I was flat ass broke, so I don't even know if they would have came through. I would have gone to this tour for sure. But yeah. uh, this was a, a time of financial despair and, and many other issues for myself. But um, this is also right around the time that like this is when the Ticketmaster shit happened, and they actually yeah. canceled the second half of their tour. Because of that, that whole nonsense. I thought we should talk right. a little bit on that because I think it's interesting. And and boy, uh, we it, it's almost like we didn't learn a lesson with Napster and, and Ticketmaster didn't get better after this, even with the yeah. insight and, and breakaway. So I don't know. It's just it's such a shitty time to look back to. I was looking at uh, the Pearl Jam twenty book. They have like some transcripts of the court hearings and stuff. And of course, Jeff was. Uh, Spokesperson, I think maybe, was it Jeff and Stone. Yeah, that's yep. I think, maybe. Uh, and uh, I remember seeing it on MTV News and seeing footage of it, and it was just another one of those things. Like, uh, but yeah, they're trying to do the right fucking thing. Like, you know, it, it's how how can you piss on this? Like, they're they're yeah. it it made it made getting tickets so tremendously difficult for the Vitology tour, but. On, on you know, on the other hand, well, the option is feeding this this corporate monster, uh, and and Pearl Jam absolutely in the right on that one. Now, and, and to give people a little background, maybe the our younger listeners, because our audience has a, a very wide demographic. Craig, mm. uh, a lot of I'm aware, a lot, lot of kids. <laughs> yeah, I, I I see the comments in the uh, Cobras and Fire Facebook page. It's all over the map. Yeah, you got forty uh, year old white men. 50-year-old white men, 38-year-old white men. Um, that's right. Uh, I, I, boy, that's a joke I go back to a lot. Uh, the, so the, basically, what they were, they were trying to, they wanted to cap their ticket prices at $18. Think of that, people, $18. Yeah, right. Uh, and they, they made a valid point that I've always thought. It doesn't cost any more to print a ticket no matter what it's for. And the idea Absolutely. that you're, you're basing that fee on a percentage. And back then, that was all Ticketmaster was. They were not this kind of 360 thing where they also are basically, they have their own in-house promotion where they, sure. they promote shows and stuff like that. Now, they made exclusive deals with promoters, which made it very hard for a band to play in an arena without using Ticketmaster because of that stuff. But right. that, to me, is wrong. It shouldn't, you know, I, it's printing a fucking ticket. I, I, I've bitched about it on, on our show so much. That to me, we have turned uh, a ticket to me is like in exchange for money, you bring this and you get to sit where this ticket says it It should be that fucking easy. It's admission. That's it. Ticketmaster has turned it into a commodity, a stock. It's just like and it started, you know, yeah, I remember being pissed the first time I paid three dollars in fees. 
Yeah. It fucking, it's not bad enough you're waiting in line. Yeah. For hours for this thing to oh. buy a ticket. So so they weren't looking to get rich or take money. They just wanted to, like they said, what you're doing is making it harder for our fans, who a lot of them are younger and don't have a lot of expendable income. They yeah. they didn't want T-shirts to be $40. They, they wanted things to be affordable for their fan base. So they really weren't trying to line their own pockets, and they did this at the cost of at least a few million bucks of touring income. Absolutely. Um, so I'm trying to think, Keanu Reeves didn't do speed two and i remember seeing people comment like like he turned down like six million dollars and then he went on tour with his band star dog which right not exactly known for being a great band right but he got shredded by people for that and i'm like this guy turned down six million dollars to do something he felt passionate about and yeah. you're like man what a fucking idiot it says a lot about where where your mind can be it's like it's not always about money especially when you already have enough imagine that if 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 people like Jeff Bezos stopped at like I have enough, or the yeah. the four kids of Sam Walton said, you know what, fuck, we don't really need any more, <laughs> right? No, the Koch brothers, no, all these fucking there's, assholes. There's never an end. Yeah, so that's what Pearl Jam was trying to control. They basically said, we're the draw. You shouldn't really be as as a key figure in this role at all, and I'm all for it. So I think that also comes back to you know what I was saying about their DIY roots, like yeah. it. It, it absolutely folds back into that. Like, you know, why why can't we be a more successful band and still charge this type of money? Like, it's, it's you know, it's amazing that that uh, it, it, it's evolved to such. And, you know, it's obviously still, I mean, it's happening in, in worse ways now uh, uh, that I, you know, and I learned this from listening to the Cobras and Fire podcast. <laughs> Excuse me? Uh, you don't hear learn in the sentence with, same sentence with Cobras and Fire too often. All right. I, I listen to ranting hmm. about this. Yeah. yeah it, but I mean, yeah. it's absolutely true. It's, it pisses it's me awful. Off. Yeah. It pisses me off too. Switching gears a little bit. Uh, the term grunge, I remember at the time kind of irked people a little way. I... I don't remember, like, other than, like, when things started coming out that were, like, you know, like, here's a grunge distortion pedal, and, you know, there's all these... That kind of bothered me, but the term in in general, I thought it was a a decent description. I've said it on the show before. I'm okay with bands like Smashing Pumpkins and and Stone Temple Pilot being thrown in with this because they really did attract the same audience, and and, and a lot of them, they they probably benefited from somebody like Nirvana blowing up. You know what I mean? So Okay, yeah, I'll go with that. Where do you feel, uh, just on the term itself, grunge? The term's fine. I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't like cower from it or or be reviled by it at the time. Um, it, it's hard to pin down. I mean, like you know, you mentioned kind of smashing pumpkins. It, it's weird to me as a huge, as much as of a pumpkins fan as I am a Pearl Jam fan, and and I, I couldn't think smashing pumpkins be any further from like a description like that hmm. uh and but you're you're absolutely right they probably and most likely did benefit from nirvana bringing in that that ushering the, in that kind of the, uh, uh that that haze of bands that they happen to fall into because they also have loud guitars you know uh so <laughs> yeah i can get that I, I can get behind that oh i, I did want to note mention something that that was kind of a, a backdrop of of them on tour kurt cobain committed suicide while they were touring on this record that's true they did a um there's a uh a, a live performance that was broadcast from atlanta 
Uh, it ends up on the dissident CD singles. Most of it does. Uh, but it was a, a live broadcast on radio. And if I remember correctly, he, he dedicates a song to Kurt. And Kurt would be dead uh, a few days after that. Man. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get uh, into the, the the psyche of Craig Smith around the time Nirvana oh, bro- or, and, and grunge broke. Uh, what were you listening to leading up to the the leading up to that era? Let's put it that way. So we're talking ninety two, huh? Yeah, uh, late ninety one, early ninety two. Like, what was your jam? Th- this was big revenge era kiss for me. Mm. Uh, that was probably the 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 really big one. Um, we're talking kiss conventions and like this is this is a time where I'm maybe at one of my peak levels of kiss fandom. Did grunge rub you the wrong way when it first kind of hit with this stuff, or were you kind of accepting? You said you're not that big of a Nirvana guy, but what about the other non Pearl Jam acts? No, I, you know what? I, I don't like smells like teen spirit. I remember where I was first time I saw the video and I remember like, that's where I was watching the MTV awards where Prince showed his ass. Nice one. So like what I remember more about that time was Prince and Paula Abdul's spellbound album Mm. and just like shit like that. I I don't know why I didn't gravitate to Nirvana. I wasn't a Guns N' Roses guy either. Was Promise of a New Day on, on Spellbound? It was, yeah. I like Are that video. Fan? Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, it's great. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> um, I believe she did Vibology on that MTV Awards, uh, okay. if I'm not mistaken. But, but so no GNR for you either. That's right. Uh, I don't know if it's maybe uh, just the I don't want to have a band shoved down my throat, and maybe that's why I didn't uh, uh, go to Nirvana for Pearl Jam. It was the same. Like I wasn't having it until like Jeremy grabbed me by the neck and was like, "No, you're you're gonna have it. Like, you can't deny how great this is." And it took, you know, kind of getting through alive and getting through even flow and being like, "I, I could give or take these, really." Like mm. I mean, they're okay. I, I heard "Smells Like Teen Spirit." I didn't think it was the greatest song I'd ever heard. I didn't think it was going to be a movement. I was like, "All right, it's a good rock song. It's got a cool riff." The drummer's insane. I like that. Yeah. But like it, there was nothing to make me want to listen to it again. Jeremy was the kind of thing where, and, and I was also a, a huge depressive at that state. So Jeremy's the song that's going to reach out to a dude like me mm-hmm. who was, you know, having shitty thoughts and, you know, and that's, that's what it was. And then, you know, of course, once I was in that far and started to like look further and read interviews and things like that, I was like, okay, this is probably going to be my next band. And for a while they, you know, they were up there okay. with pumpkins, you know, throughout those years. But for me, it was always just Pearl Jam. You can count the pumpkins if you want to count them. I was as big into them, but there was really nobody else. I, I appreciated Soundgarden singles. I think I only ever bought one of their albums. All right. Well, uh, here it is. Your moment. Uh, did grunge kill hair metal? Yeah, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes. At least for me, I, I would say it did because I, I kind of dropped the the hair metal. And I was maybe probably not as big of a fan as some of us in the podcasting world, judging by what we talk about and what we listen to. Mm-hmm. But I certainly... I certainly flirted with it enough and saw enough shows. I think that there was an air of – I think that the, the, the air of uh, pretentiousness, if you want to call it that, some would call it genuine, uh, kind of overtook what might have been looked at as silly about the hair metal scene. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it did, yeah. 
Right on. Let's get to side two then, man. Um, it opens yeah. up with uh, opens up with blood. Trans and spills, soaks the pages, fills their I, it took me a while to warm to it, uh, maybe because of that line, uh, paint Ed Big, turn Ed into one of his enemies. Yeah. The, the, the self-referential thing, it takes a lot for that to work. Yeah. Uh, I, obviously, I get what it, what he's saying and the lyric. Uh, I, I wouldn't argue with it. I mean, it's it's about how, you know, uh, the, they, they want everything from you, including your blood. Uh, but, uh, it's another one of those that like during live shows, it's, it's energetic, but I think this one maybe dives a little too far into screaming Eddie. Whereas I prefer, uh, the, the, the kind of growly Eddie that we get on stuff like go and animal. So this one a little bit lesser than, but I can still get into it. This is a song I kind of forgot about. Uh, yeah. and I think it's a bit of a hidden gem. I, it's got almost that porn music '70s wah going on there at the. Yeah, almost. It's got that. It's got that break. I guess they were sequencing more for CDs at this time. Obviously, not a great f- way to open up side two. But if you just look yeah. at it, listening to the CD, it, it doesn't stick out that way. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, agreed. I gave it one, two, three, four against one. Yeah, I, I'm going to give this one one, two, three and a half against one and half a jerk sock for that uh, interlude. <laughs> All right. Um, man, uh, I, I might uh, I, I might need a jerk sock after listening to this next song. Uh, Rear oh View Mirror. I can only, uh, I have to open this one with my rating, which is a, a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten against one. Ooh. This song is so, 
it, it's their masterpiece for many reasons. It's it's the best song just ever about getting out of a situation, not looking back. Uh, just it, 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 I remember they did it on Saturday Night Live. I think right after the album came out, or maybe right around that time. And I was just like, wow, this is this is good. first time I actually saw Eddie play a guitar. Uh, and I was like, yeah, this is this is going to be the one, and, and it is. I mean, this is the one that absolutely has survived all these years. It's it's really their anthem. You can say it's alive, but it's really this. Like this is this encapsulates everything that's so great about this band, and just you know, the the, the chorus is great. The way it kind of dies down before that final chorus at the end. <laughs> Holy shit! When you see this live and they pound into that last chorus, Jesus Christ, man! There, there's, there have been many moments I've seen uh, at concerts that that raise the hair on your arms. This is up there with the the top. It's it's a masterpiece, fucking masterpiece. This is a song that that I could see playing and never getting sick of. Like, um, like I would always like look forward to it on the set list. You know what I mean? I'd be, I'd be bummed on the nights that it was taken off. But like, where a song like "Rock and Roll Night," you know, you know they're gonna play it, but the, you kind of need the crowd probably yeah. thirty years into it to, right. to fucking get through this. But this one, I was just that <laughs> man that that opening just it is it's such a great riff. And it's everything is it's like it's like one of those magic moments where everything just comes together perfect. The music and the melody and the lyrics, the mood that he's trying to describe fits the music because uh, the message, like you said, just getting away from a situation that's bad for you and and never looking back. It's it's just it's such a fucking rager. And that ending you talked about, man, oh. it's just when Eddie starts. Oh man! And I, I gather speed from you fucking with me. Oh, oh come on! It's yeah. it's it's great lyric. It's it's really their their crowning achievement. It's 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 hard it's hard to get anywhere near this. It's it's just so good. It's also a great title for a greatest hits package if you want to release one it's, down the road. It certainly <laughs> is. With with just convenient uh, picture that they happen to have of them from their first album shoot <laughs> reflected in a mirror. Nice. Yeah. Yep. We should be marketing uh, agents. Though. Yeah, seriously. I'm going to go ahead and match here. I'm, uh, I was only going to give it five, but you inspired me. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten against one. Oh, so good. All right. Up next is Rats. They don't eat. a lot on this one it's kind of a jammy album track not my favorite but yeah. you know what it, it, it kind of fits where they put it you know I, I think I said during the the episode I did with Eric like I usually lump this in with a song like Bugs on Vitology which is really just a dopey kind of 
comical thing. Yeah. But then every time I listened to it, I was like, no, this this song's pretty fucking great. Like the chorus is really good on this. I would probably just give this a one, two, three, four against one, but I, I'm nitpicking, and that's only because, you know, it, it kind of uh the verses kind of lay back in this in this kind of doom doom do 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 groove. Yeah. But the the choruses make up for it. And I, I know you'll absolutely love the the little uh Michael Jackson tribute they throw at the end of this. <laughs> I I missed that. What are you talking about? They uh he says, Ben, the two of us need look no more. That's the last lines of the song are from Ben by Michael Jackson, the song about the rat. Oh, I did not know that song yeah. from Michael Jackson. Childhood, chi- childhood Michael Jackson. It was uh, a Ben was a movie. It might shock you. I don't go song. that deep on Michael Jackson. I I not just only knew it from being a child. <laughs> <laughs> I keep fucking dropping my pen. Jesus Christ. Uh, well, uh, what do you what do you give for the rating on rats? Did you say that? Uh, this is a one two three four against one. That's right. You did say that. I give it uh, one two three and a half against one. Yeah, so, fair enough. Yeah, on on ten. Let me let me go through this. I did some math here. Yeah. So on their first record, they had uh, eleven songs, and they only needed twelve words to title all of those songs. <laughs> and on verses, uh, there's there's uh, um, a, they used eleven words to name the eleven other songs on this record. This being the the twelfth song that I eliminated. This song alone has nine words uh, to title it. So their entire career at this point. Is only twenty three songs, and one third of the words they used in the titles are on this song alone. So, <laughs> this really this is just two words short of being a Fallout Boy song. Uh, wow, I was not expecting math from you, especially this early. <laughs> so, I appreciate the effort. And I, for all I'm concerned, they could have given this to Fallout Boy. I'm talking about elderly woman behind the counter in a small town. I changed by not changing at all. Small town predicts my fate Perhaps that's what no one wants to see I just want to scream Hello Yeah, if you look at if you look at the set list on the back of my shirt, it is uh, abbreviated to "Small Town," so uh, it becomes a John Cougar Mellencamp song at that point. Uh, yeah, this is a. Uh, I have to uh, throw out there just because Joey Haney, uh, through some of his uh, musical journeys as a a twenty something out there, this is a song that I used to perform at open mics back in the. Uh, uh, early ninety fives. You you did? I did. Yeah. Do you have yeah. it? I do. Yeah. You're gonna yeah. send it. I slowly raise it. Predicts my fate. Perhaps that's what no one wants to see. I just want to scream. Hello, 
It's a song that got away from me for a while because it's another one that I think that radio kind of grabbed onto a little too hard. Um, the one clip I did see of Eddie Vedder on Howard Stern was Howard asking him kind of where this song came from. And it really made me uh, listen to the song again with a critical ear, which I probably haven't done in 20 years, right? Like Howard's incredulous, just like, show me. Like, show me what you, how that happens. And and he starts playing it, and Howard's like, so you just – it's a D and a C and a, a G? Like, what's going on there? And they're talking about how it came up, and I, I he started talking about the lyric, and I, I really, really paid attention to the lyric listening to it these last few weeks. And I I, I got to say, it's, it's really reclaimed a, a spot in my heart, which it didn't have for some time. So um, – yeah, I think that this one's this one's a winner uh, that that I was separated from for many years. Lyr- lyrically, it's it actually hit home with a lot of stuff that's going on recently. Um, to to keep it short, uh, just finding out how different people who didn't leave the like I grew up in a small town and and in, in, in initially on a farm, um, yeah. and and the people that I that I'm still friends with, my family, all that stuff, they're still down there. How differently. They view things like uh, you know the George Floyd thing and 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 the riots or, or and, basic basic human rights. Well, I'm trying to be nice because uh, <laughs> none of them listen. I don't know why, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm trying not to get. I'm trying to take your lead earlier in the show. I I, I don't want to get too much into divisive rhetoric, but it is alarming that people that that I was raised with and 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 went basically lived the same life up to a yeah. early adulthood have just never really stopped you know, or never never continued any any growth. They're just kind of stunted there. And that's yeah. kind of what the song is about. It's like basically just a woman who just doesn't realize what she missed out by never really leaving the, the small town. There is a big right. world out there, people. And I'm not shooting down small towns. If money was no issue to anything I wanted to do in my life, I would definitely not be living in the metropolis because right. I could get here when I needed to and leave when I want to. I'd get somewhere a little more secluded where I could, you know, be loud and and do whatever the fuck I want. You know what I mean? That louder, kind of louder, louder than you are now. Yes, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but so I, I like the lifestyle. I like that kind of environment. You know, it is it is comforting to a certain extent. But I don't like the ideology. I guess is all I'm getting at. So yeah, I, I'll I'll go with that. And I think my life experiences have probably changed who I was in a way that I didn't realize it until. These these stark contrasting ideas started popping up on my Facebook feed, but anyway, yeah. Enough on that. I gave it one two against one. Really? Yeah, I'm gonna have to give this one a one two three four against one. Okay. Only because radio kind of ruined it for me for a while, but uh, and and it's one of those that live I never quite thought it worked. Um, it's just never the same as the album. You know, he's playing it on an electric. It's great for the moment when the crowd yells, hello. Uh, but in terms of set list, I, I, I never really got into it in the way that some of their that other ballads. I just want to scream, hello. Oh, goodness. Uh, I don't even want to give it two now. <laughs> See, I should have kept my mouth shut. All right. You, uh, all right. Uh, Leash is up next.
this is a song I specifically remember Kyle talking to me about because they played this on the 10 tour, uh, uh, at least during part of it. And uh, he said that this is going to be like the new big Pearl Jam song. Like it's incredible. He was telling me all about it. And I think that at the time I was really, really into it. But now it kind of feels a little maybe too confrontational or too beating the drum of being young. Whereas there are songs on 10 that maybe do it better. Okay. Uh, but I, but I do love the groove of this song and I, yeah. I, I love the energy of it. So I, I think, I think my issue with it is more how other people per- might perceive it as opposed to how I perceive it because I still love it. I just think it's the kind of thing where like, if I was to play this for somebody, they'd be like, Drop the leash, get out of my fucking face. Come on, calm the <laughs> fuck down, you know. But at the time, I was I was all in on it. I think that maybe maybe age might not have been so kind to this song. Okay. I know it's one that they don't play live very often. Um, but I, I I'm a sucker for an Eddie rally the youth kind of song. Drop the leash, we are young. You know, I I I, I can get into that music, especially when I when it's something that I that kind of really got into at any point in my life, it, I t- it tends to get locked in mentally at where I was at that time. So yeah. I get what you're saying, but I think if, if I heard this now, I might have a harder time with it. You know, it's, it's, it's yeah. I, without getting too much into kiss again, but that's really is a lot of my problem with the last two records they did. It's, it's like, well, I've grown up, but they haven't. And, and uh, fair enough. I'll, I'll go with that. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I love it. I, I, I get out of my fucking face. That was definitely kind of, how I felt at the time about certain things in life, you know, I mean, it, it was written for me. You know what I mean? It, it's not written for fifty-year-old me. Agreed. But like, you know, me listening to this at the time and Eddie singing, "I am lost. I'm no guide, but I'll be by your side." I'm like, that's a that's a fucking lyric right there. Like, this, yeah. is, this is the and this is the dude you want on your side, right? Yeah. Like, so yeah, I I was completely all in on this. There's there's a lot of examples, and, and we'll, so I'll just stick with Eddie. But it is amazing. When you see somebody have an almost level of maturity in the way they they write lyrics and melody that, like, you know, others take a long time to grow into, you know what I mean? And Eddie was definitely one of those guys. It was just like kind of a natural thing. He he could relate to his emotions and and then come up with uh, artistic ways to express them, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, I think I'm going to have to give this one a one, two, three, four and a half against five only because... You know, it might not have dated well, and like you said, fifty-year-old us hearing this for the first time, <laughs> maybe maybe doesn't work. But again, me nitpicking, really. Yeah. Okay. I, you know, it sounded like I like the song more, but I gave it one, two, three, four against one. Okay. All right. Um, all right. The album closes with uh, indifference. I will hold the candle till it burns up my.
surprised by my rating, I think. I'm going to give it first. And it's a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven against one. Ooh. This one stands out to me. I like how you've weird... embraced the uh, rate however the fuck you want, by the way. Some well, people I, I know, with I it. know how you roll. Yeah, all right. Um, and, and like I said, I, I wasn't going to go after having listened to deep dish pizzas on <laughs> deep dish pizzas. <laughs> Come on. Um, so this song to me has the perfect closing song vibe. Mm. And I, I, I'm going to be interested to see what you think of it. But I think for me, it's, it's kind of like you, this is the one song for me, as much as I love this album, this is a song where I feel like you can feel the room, the organ chords and, and just the kind of doom, 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 you know, those really sparse guitar licks. Um, and, and lyrically, I think it's great, but like, it's one of those things that I listened to and I was like, and I'm like, this is a vibe I could listen to like a jam on this for hours because it's just, it it's, it's really putting you in the middle of what's going on in that room. Um, and it usually closed most of the concerts from this time where it was pretty close to the end. So it, it, you know, just good memories of like watching these on VHS tapes and just hearing the vibe on this song. Jeff's got his upright bass out and just, it's great. So, so for me, this song, I think it's, it's amazingly written pretty simple, but, uh, the arrangement on it, I think just ends this album in a, a most incredible way. I do think it's a great closer. Uh, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm a little indifferent to it as a song, though. <laughs> oh, uh, I don't hate it, but and, and it does. It did. If you listen to this record from beginning to end, this does kind of feel like you kind of went through something with them. You know what I mean? And, yeah, and yeah. I love the way you described it that you can kind of feel the room on it. Um, that, that that's probably the best way to sum it up. I didn't. I, it doesn't. It doesn't like I like it as much as you, but I still gave it uh, one, two, three and a half against one. Okay. Yeah, I think it's a good exercise in restraint. And yeah. you you feel that. You can you can even hear it in his vocal delivery like some of those lines that kind of like get a little uh uh, uh vocal uh, uh, uh what do they call that? The uh, vocal fry. Like just, you know, there's kind of a little bit in that in there because he's singing so restrained. And just the, you know, it's it's just so laid back yet yet there's something you feel like there's something there, you know, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it, I don't know. It just, it works for me when, and they're great. You know, as great as they are opening albums, there is great closing them with the exception of Vitology, <laughs> uh, because that's just weird. But, um, uh, like, uh, release is a great, know, is that the, it is. Yeah. Release yeah, for a second. Yeah. I thought I was wrong. Yeah, like, I love that ending. And like those, those kind of songs like release was often an opener, uh, for their live shows, uh, which is just a, a, a nice way to kind of like ramp it up since the song is mellow, but it's got that crescendo. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a great way to open a show. Um, but this is uh, just one of the best ways to, to close, I think. I always let the guests have the final thoughts on the record, so I'll, I'll get mine out of the way and, uh, and let, let uh, Craig Smith take the floor. With each episode, I get to kind of relive a little bit of my youth. You know, I mean, it, it is a lot of fun. And, and now we're getting into really the heavy hitters of the list, like I mentioned a little bit earlier. Uh, you know, I, I talked about lining up outside it to get this at midnight, you know what I mean, how big a deal it was. Um, this was a record store called Face to Music that, that my roommate and I, we, we had be basically, 
moved from kind of annoying dicks to tolerable distractions <laughs> in their day. Like the, we, we knew him by name. I mean, Swanee, Greg Peters, his non-existent <laughs> sister Sharon, <laughs> Sharon Peters. Uh, oh, wow. So these these are the things that come back to me when I think about this record. You know what I mean? Uh, I, and and just seeing them like standing outside and seeing behind the glass, like them milling around the store waiting. It, there was just something like kind of intense about that. It was just like they just they were the gatekeepers, you know. So yeah, we we got it. We bought the CD and went home, listened to it right away. The big chunk of the time of of this list is like between ninety one and ninety four. And and I can look back fondly on a lot of the experience, but this was not really a, a place that I was in a mental state that was super healthy. I, yeah. I was starting to deal with a lot of anxiety, and that was manifesting in in, in some sleep disorder battles that I, I, I would I would deal with for about six years. Um, this record, I, I don't think I realized at the time, but music. And, and, and this album was definitely one of those. It was such a coping mechanism for me. Um, it was something I used to help go to sleep, uh, if you want to tie it in directly to it. But just there was just a lot of stuff that you know, you're know you dealing with um, that, that people go through in life. I don't want to over-dramatize it, but to me, a big part of why this journey has been a lot of fun is that to, to kind of look back and realize that, you know what, I did come out of this. You know what I mean? It, 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 it did work out for the, for the most part all right. I didn't become super rich and famous. But other than that, most of the things I wanted happened. So, mm-hmm. um, But uh, another thing that kind of stuck out, Craig, um, out of all these records, the one that kind of stuck with me, like that I would go back to routinely, was Pearl Jam right. 10. Um, okay. I kind of just... Mm-hmm. Didn't listen to grunge for a good decade. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm starting to remember just how great these records were and why they meant so much to me. Um, but And Pearl Jam as a band, I, they, I, I was a little disappointed with Vit- Vitalogy because they were signaling very clearly that they were going to become something that I wasn't going to really want to, to be part of. Right. Um, but honestly, I felt okay about it. You know what I mean? It's like... I still got this stuff. And frankly, I've kind of softened on that a little bit as time's gone on. But um, right. this record, man, I, I, I'm so glad uh, it's on the list. I'm, I'm glad to have it talk to you. Uh, you're such an eloquent and smart gentleman. Uh, you're not just handsome. Uh, he's well, a total package lady. La- ladies. <laughs> <laughs> I said I said lady because I'm referring to our audience. <laughs> right. The one, yes. Megan might listen to this one. Oh, yeah. So we'll have two of this episode. So, But yeah, this record's a shit. <laughs> Uh, let's turn the microphone over to Craig Smith. All right. So, um, by the way, I'm looking forward to when you do like the top 25 concept albums, so you can really have a good listen to melancholy and the infinite sadness <laughs> Oh man! Uh, instead of your, uh, random dismissal that I've heard, uh, uh in previous episodes. Random. So, uh, Hey, I bought, I, I stood in line to get that fucker too. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so this is, uh, I mean, this album is, is a weird time for me. Like I'm turning 21 um, and we were still at the age where, you know, we had our nightly hangout driving around kind of stuff. Um, not quite severed from teenage years yet yeah. uh, and not, uh, but kind of facing adulthood. And so uh, it, it's, it's a weird album for me because when I think about that time, uh, I, I have like very specific memories of not wanting the, the, the gang to break up. Uh, and just like weird things like, uh, knowing that it was kind of like slipping away, uh, and that, uh, we're all kind of like facing what's going to be next for us in life. And I just always had this kind of like feeling that, 
uh, you know, at least during that time that something was going to happen that I, I was going to be not included on and I was going to miss out on something. Hmm. And so, uh, I, I just have this very specific memory around this time, 94, remember it very well. Um, friends were getting together to do something. I had to work late and I didn't, I didn't go. And then just like, it feels like right after that, like everybody just branched off. So it, to me, it really represents kind of the end of what might've been, uh, extended childhood or extended teenage years. Uh, because I was always a little stunted in terms of, uh, uh, my motivation and desire to, you know, become an adult. You know, I wanted to be the, the kid in his bedroom, you know, <laughs> recording four track shit for the rest of his life. Mm. Didn't turn out that way. Um, so it, it kind of felt like the beginning of, uh, of everybody kind of separating and, and going their own ways. And it, and it absolutely was. So like all of my fears absolutely came to light. This was the kind of music that I listened to, to, uh, to kind of forget about that. And, uh, it's something I don't often think about, but sometimes when I'm listening to this, like a sparkle of that, like a little moment in the car, I'll come back, you know, and mm -hmm. just like bring me back to that time. So this album maybe is more special than I ever give it credit for, because I don't think I've ever verbalized this kind of detail about it to anybody, but, um, it absolutely was the soundtrack to, one of the weirdest times of my life where it was just like, okay, you, you're going to have to be an adult, you know, whereas this music was about youth and staying young. It was like, it's nice to cling to that, but you, you just can't, you know? So, uh, it's, uh, it's a special album, you know. It's as I, I think it's going to get tougher to keep these episodes uh, succinct as I get into these because I, I we're talking about records I know more, I have more passion for, uh, yeah. and this is no exception. So uh, this one's going to be another monster Craig Smith episode. <laughs> well, Rolling Stone had this coming in at number ten. Believe it or not, Pearl Jam versus as much as I just praised it dipped one spot for me. It slides down to number eleven. Where did you have this? Ooh, this is this is my number one. Ooh, nice. Uh, again, only because you know this was my band, uh, and it's my favorite album by them. Uh, there, there's only one other album on this list that came close to this one, but still couldn't couldn't manage the battle against this one, in my opinion. All right, I'm. All right. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the show, Craig. Uh, any last words? Look, it's uh, always a pleasure to speak with you. Uh, especially, uh, you know, uh, when we go for these marathon sessions, we're two marathon men. Look at us. Yeah. Come look on. at it. I'm fucking great. Shit. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, I, I, I always appreciate talking to you. Uh, one of these days I'll, I'll, uh, t talk to your, your other half LC, but until then, uh, it, these are always a good time. All right, man. Let's, uh, let's, uh, wrap it up. What do you say? Whatever. All right. Never mind.
this was number one. Okay. Let's do that. I'm going to have to cut that and splice okay. that in at, okay, at a different fine. spot. But yep. Well, I rated this. Oh, where's my rating? Shit. <laughs> See, I'm not fucking prepared at all, apparently. I got my little whatever, never mind folder here. Very organized. Yeah, you, you, you'd think so. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.